Hello there, everybody. Welcome to Things We Said Today, our weekly podcast slash internet uh, radio look at all things Beatles, both uh, in their uh, their history and uh, and also what's what's happening today. Uh, I'm Al Sussman from Beatle Fan Magazine, and I'm here with, uh, well, in various parts of the country with uh, with my three uh, co-hosts. Uh, first, the host of the syndicated Beatles radio show, um, Every Little Thing, Ken Michaels. Hi, Al. Hi, everyone. And from uh, all the way across the country, in, in just outside of San Francisco, the writer for Beatles Examiner and in various other Examiner columns uh, at examiner.com, and that's Steve Marinucci. Hi, Al. Hello, everyone. And up in uh, up in frigid Maine, uh, our uh, our uh, our uh, resident musicologist and a longtime member of the uh, Beatle fan family, Alan Cozen. Hello, Al. Hello, everyone. And we have a uh, special guest, uh, uh, more more a guest contributor because he's uh, uh, he's actually made a f- several appearances with us uh, in the course of, uh, of this of this series, and he's uh, a- another longtime member of, of the Beatle fan family. And before that, uh, Charles Rosenay's Good Day Sunshine. He's also one of the uh, one of the MCs at the Fest for Beatles fans, and does does along with uh, with me all all manner of things. <laughs> made that tune, trivia, all yeah. sorts of things. And that, of course, is Tom Frangione. How you doing, guys? It's great to be back on the show. Complete Tom, Tom is wearing cap. his meds cap here for the uh, for the Skype cast. It's uh, mm-hmm. kind of an exciting time out here in Metland. Sure mm-hmm. is. And hopefully, it still will be when uh, when, when the show airs. Yeah. <laughs> well, we 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 can all hope. Well, look, you know, all I know is. I have no records on Apple where I hear any artist chanting "Let's go Yankees," but I have hey, one. Hey. Let's go Mets. Okay, you do. So, which one yes, is that? Yeah, that would be the Ballad of New York City by David Peel. And at the end, uh, there's all the, the uh, subway car noises and traffic and car horns and all kinds of sounds from the streets of New York, and including uh, various folks chanting "Let's go Mets." <laughs> Mm. I re- I really want to believe John is is chanting that. I really really want to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna have to dig you into also... the Apple catalog. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have yes, to the, the last play the it's the last thirty seconds of uh, the Ballad of New York City by David Peel. Oh my gosh! So you also should know that uh, when Flaming Pie came out, there was a Flaming Pie night at Chase. Yes. Station. Yes, and of course. McCartney made a he made a video, and he said, "Let's go Mets" in the video. There you go. Oh, we got We got to get us a copy of that, Kenny. We got to get that. <laughs> I, oh, how, yeah. However, I, I know where I can get it. However, however, has he attended any Mets games in the last couple of years? I think he's been at more Yankee games than he's been at Mets. Yes, he's been quite well, a few except, Yankee games. Well, except that he he also played <laughs> at City Field. Well, he's played at Yankee Stadium as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Yes, yeah, true. But when he wants but, to see a ball game, he goes to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but when, when he wants to make a great record, either with the with his three pals from Liverpool or 
with his current touring band, they do it over there in Flushing. Actually, he's right. been, he's been mm-hmm. to AT&T Park, too, so. That's right. <laughs> so. so what what we're getting at here is that it's been a virtual tug of war, tug of war. between, <laughs> yes. between City Field and there. Yankee Stadium. <laughs> oh, my God. Which brings us to the, the subject of, uh, of, of uh, this week's uh, this week's show. Uh, as you're probably aware, uh, within the last uh, week or so, uh, MPL uh, has released the the latest editions, the latest two editions of the Paul McCartney Archive Collection, and that is uh, full retrospective uh, releases for Tug of War and for Pipes of Peace. Now, before we get into the the, the packages themselves, uh, we did uh, we did a show. In fact, I think it was I think the last time Tom was on, we did a uh, we did a whole show on the Tug of War album, which is Tom's favorite post Beatles uh, album. Uh, so, just to kind of uh, kind of set the scene, uh, and and the that show is available on the archive. Uh, whether it's on Podbean or, or iTunes or uh, the uh, uh, Things We Said Today YouTube page. So it's easily obtainable and it's uh, well worth your time. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of set the scene, Tom, why don't you give us kind of a capsule rundown of Pipes of Peace? Yeah, um, Pipes of Peace to me always came off as almost like godfather three you know it's okay in its own right but it'll never live up to the one that came before it to talk about pipes of peace i don't think you can really do it without framing it around tug of war because the great majority of the material was material that was prepared for tug of war uh paul had brought to those sessions enough easily for a double album and uh, with george martin's guidance uh, that was pared down to a single album, picking you know the the best of the material uh, in there in Paul and and George Martin's opinion for Tug of War. Um, a great majority of what was left over became Pipes of Peace. So in some ways, it comes off as the we'll call it the B reel. It doesn't mean that there's nothing good on it or nothing is as good as what's on Tug of War. And in fact, what's kind of cool uh, in revisiting that album, there was some little bits and pieces of songs, particularly toward the end of side two, that you have to remember when these albums were made, they were made in the LP era, oh. the, the pre-CD right. era. And, you know, things were, you know, affairs were pretty much kept to 45 minutes. But there are some things that, that thematically tie them together. So the, the most obvious example is a song called Tug of Peace, uh, about mm-hmm. two-thirds of the way through mm-hmm. side two of Pipes of Peace. And it it links together the hooks of both title songs. Uh, It's a tug of war and then a a counter vocal singing, your trouble cease when you learn to play the pipes of peace. And it might be interesting uh, at some point to to kind of think about if this were made in the CD era with a little more real estate on the disc, maybe, I don't know, a 60, 65 minute without, you know, pushing this and just saying how much can we get on an 80, what might have been the other songs to put on there? Um, it was when I heard the Tug of War album when the, when our copies came out. I was listening down at the House of Vibes studio here in New Jersey, and Kurt Ryle, who runs as a big big McCartney fan, and he, he we we have many great debates as to you know Paul's better material and his his not so great material, 
And when we were listening to Tug of War, you know, he had he had asserted, uh, he said, you know, gee, I love this record so much, but everyone says, oh, that's the one with Ebony and Ivory on it, right? And it kind of gets almost like a, oh, this is when Paul started his real wimpy period in the in the 80s kind of tag. But, you know, and, and we, you know, through seeing the books, and I just want to, you know, digress to tug of war for a minute. And he said, gee, I, I bet you the record company made him put that on there. You know, after having gone through that whole coming up fiasco with the one-sided single that they had to tuck into the sleeves and everything else. But you can see clearly from the book, that even in the early working track listings, Ebony and Ivory was part of that album. Okay, mm -hmm. um, he wanted that in there. And what kind of make the reason I bring up that song is because we were, uh, you know, hypothesizing, saying, "Well, what if after you know, I guess it's dressed me up as a robber? What if it went? You know, because that's a, got a real nice driving beat and everything. What if they had done that tug of peace thing and closed the album with pipes of peace? It might make a neat album." Um, but the, you know, obviously Ebony and Ivory being the single, it was, it, it was not an afterthought and thrown on there, but bookending this with tug of war pipes of peace might've been something really cool. You know, look, we know with hindsight pipes of peace became a big hit. The song anyway, in England, uh, was a number one record over there, uh, a Christmas single and much is made of that in the new pipes of peace box set. One of the two books that come in the box set is dedicated really just to the video. It was a groundbreaking video at the time with Paul playing the lead roles in both sides of, of a recreated battle scene uh, between the French and the British. So, you know, much was made of that. It was it was very... Um, it was the it Germans, was, wasn't it? The Germans um, and the yeah, British. I, I apologize, yes. Yes, the Germans. Thank you, Alan. And much was made of that, about how, you know, how innovative the video was and... I say a whole book is dedicated to that in the Pipes of Peace uh, box set. What's kind of cool, speaking of the books, um, one of the things that struck me immediately, and I'm interested to hear what you guys uh, thought, when you look through the books that came in both Pipes of Peace and Tug of War, before we even talk about the music, we're talking about the books, I felt almost like I was reading Beatle books, because every page you turn, it's George Martin, it's Ringo, it's Paul, it's Paul and Ringo and George Martin. It was it was heavenly looking at these books. Uh, they're they're really well done. Anyone who's seen any of the prior editions of the McCartney Archive series knows the amount of artistry that goes into these, and uh, the two most recent ones are no exception. I definitely think that the photo books are a huge highlight in these packages because mm. there's a mm. lot of photos there that you never saw. And if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of the material was lifted from Club Sandwich which was uh, Paul's own, um, I think it came out four times a year, his newsletter to the fans. And mm -hmm. um, apart from a lot of quotes from Paul and Ringo and George Martin, the great thing is you've got quotes from a lot of the musicians that took, that took part in both these albums. Yeah. Everybody well, from Steve Gadd, yeah. you know, um, Dave Maddox, you know, Eric Stewart, everybody, really. Stanley and Mm -hmm. Yeah, it made you feel like, you know, you were there or, or when they look back at these sessions, how they remember them. And, um, you know, it doesn't answer all the questions that I have about these sessions at all, because Never I've always could. been curious as to, <laughs> you know, why he picked certain certain musicians for these tracks. You know, why yeah. all of a sudden did he think of Dave Maddox? You know, did yeah. he know him? 
you know, why think of him for a specific song? That's something that I would be far more curious to find out well, about from an artistic they, point they of view. They do but, allude to that in the books that George Martin, you know, among other things, took Paul out of his comfort zone for this. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, following, uh, you know, the wings thing and following Japan and bringing Martin in kind of just, you know, made it a different sandbox to play in and, mm-hmm. you know, taking him greatly out of his comfort zone. That's to say, I mean, Denny Lane is there for part of the proceedings, but wings is no more. And, you know, really defining taking him out of his comfort zone, going back and playing with the drummer that consciously or subconsciously he'd avoided for a decade, but made some great records with. Mm-hmm. So, but he was right for the for that material. And you can really hear that. The remastering, uh, the drums sound terrific on both mm. albums. So, you know, I think I think Martin made a lot of right decisions in that record. And by the way, for those of you that are George Martin aficionados out there, this record, beyond being some of Paul's best work, I think is one of the best albums George Martin ever sat at the at the desk for. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get too deep into the books and the and the the discs themselves, uh, just for the more casual fan, for the more for the uninitiated, there are several versions of both of these releases. And Steve, why don't you give us a rundown of how that breaks down? Well, there is a there's the the big version, obviously that these that you that everybody except me has because I don't I did not get the the big version. I don't I don't have it either. And you don't have it either. So it has uh, three CDs and a DVD. Is that correct, gentlemen? For uh, pipes of peace. No, tug of war. We're talking about tug of war now. Well, actually, the tug, tug of, of war, war has, is three, three CDs, CDs, one DVD, right? Yeah. Right, and right. The, and it has two book. They, they it has two books. And then mm-hmm. Pipes of Peace has two. The third CD is is there's two. The one CD is the reg, is the original mix, and the second CD is the remix, and the third CD is all the bonus audio on on Tug of War. And then Pipes no, that's that's wrong. That's wrong. There's no remix for Pipes of Peace. There's only the remaster for Pipes of Peace of the original mix, and then there's a bonus audio CD for Pipes right. of Peace, he, and that's it. He, he was just. He only did war. a remix for Tug of War. Yeah, only for Tug of War I'm, is there a I, remix. I, I, I thought that's what I said. I thought that's what I was talking about. Wasn't I talking about? By the way, Ken, that's an yes. interesting point yes. that this album is the only one he made a remix for. But go on. Okay, no, that's what I. I that's what I'm. I'm sorry. Did I say Pipes of Peace? I meant to say Tug of War, has the the remix. Um, okay. So, um, and they both have uh, deluxe books, and then there's versions with just the CDs. There's the, um, I believe there's the standard version with just the discs and the DVD. Is that mm-hmm. is that correct? Uh, and then you can just buy the 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 regular disc by itself. Uh, um, you don't have to get anything extra. Um, there's no, there's definitely many, and it's also on vinyl too, and it's also uh, digital. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a n- number of different ways to get these things. Um, Right. There's actually there's actually one more on tug of war, um, which was a very limited number. Called oh, right, right, right. The super deluxe. Right. Which had no more audio or video material, but had a slip case and some photos. And boy, that was that was a really tough. You know, I, I didn't buy it. I mean, let's face it. If I'm ever going to go, you know, whole hog on any record, it's going to be tug of war. 
but I think it, it amounts to something like $85 more right. for a slipcase and five photographs. And it disappeared in, in no time. It, it, well, yeah, again, the, all you have to do is say there's only a thousand of them, and that's the end of that. And they get ridiculous money on eBay for them. Right. But I mean, if it had another, you know, I don't know, another disc of, I don't know, a DVD, another disc of outtakes or something, you know, another 85 bucks isn't an easy pill to swallow. But I mean, frankly, for, for no additional music or video, it wasn't really even a decision for me. I said, nah, not, not just for a slipcase. Right. Um, that was for me. Yeah. I don't know if any, any of you all made the plunge on that. Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> no. No. I go as far as the deluxe version, and that's enough for me. Yeah, no, that that was pretty much it here as well. Um, and uh, and again, once again, they did a great job with them. Now, this is the uh, in both cases, uh, this would be the first release of the of each of those two albums since Tom. Correctly, if I'm wrong, the uh, the early '90s McCartney. Collection, whatever that was called, that right. came yeah, out in yeah, England. The collection is what it was called. Yes. Yeah, the, the right. British, the British ones. Those were the British right. ones in England. And what's kind of, you know, for for all you long-suffering McCartney collectors out there, I mean, we all enjoy we all enjoy this as fans, but he it's maddening as a collector. So, artistically, um, aesthetically, whatever we want to call it, back then in '93. When all the albums came out with bonus cuts and everything, Tug of War, you know, which had a few B sides and things, never mind unreleased stuff, but just B sides, had enough to throw on there. There was at least three tracks they could have put on there. And Paul made the decision, well, let's keep that one the way it is. He kind of liked that album as a standalone piece. And well, I, I feel good about that. Um, Tug, uh, Pipes of Peace, he actually added, you know, one or two of the B sides plus unreleased stuff. Okay, Um, at least in this country, uh, stuff that was unreleased. And not all of that has made it to this big, super, you know, Mac Daddy box set here. So if you are a collector, don't throw out your Paul McCartney collection just yet uh, on your edition of Pipes of Peace. I think Simple as That, which was a bonus cut on the 93 version, did not make it to this box set. And and I'm going to say probably appropriately so. That track dates, Ken, is it 85 or 86 that that's from? Simple as that? I, th- I think it's around 86. Yeah, but this version that's on the new package is a completely different song called Simple different as song? That. No, that's, no the, the, the released version of Simple as That from 85 or 86, which yeah. was on the Pipes of Peace collection version in 93, does not appear here. So yeah. you kind of have to hang on to that version if you uh, mm-hmm. if you want to maintain a complete collection. Um, I d- d- well, backing up just for a second, Tom. I just noticed on Amazon somebody has the super deluxe version on Amazon for. Are you ready? Eight hundred and fifty dollars. Yep. Do they have three of them? I mean, Christmas is coming. Maybe I get one for each. <laughs> <of them. laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Now, if no. I don't have three, no, I ain't gonna go around. No. Oh, okay. Darn you. <laughs> Yeah, because I think if you got it at the the whatever offering price, I think it was somewhere around 150 bucks. Right. It was something like that, mm-hmm. um, which, again, I, I thought was was, you know, was was out of bounds for for what you were getting on top of the regular version. Right. Uh, Eight hundred bucks. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. 
So simple as that, by the way, simple as that, actually, it wasn't first released as a bonus track on Pipes of Peace, though. No, it was on that. Because it really was. Right. A Herald album or something, right? It's called It's a Living World. It was a double album that came out in England only. So it's one of those one-offs that Paul has done quite a lot of. So it was cool to put it originally on Pipes of Peace there. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe if he puts that out in his archive series, it may I guess the closest album to that would probably be Press to Play. It may end I would up think so. Cut there, yeah. You know? So, so you know, you, you while you can safely you know hand off your 1993 version of Tug of War to to a deserving relative or friend or local used record stop, the the 1993 Pipes of Peace you might have to hang on to. Mm-hmm. So, Alan, since mm. this is the uh, the first time those two these two albums have been issued since well, in what twenty two years, how do they shape up sonically? You know, I really like the remix of Tug of War. Um, mm-hmm. I listen to I listen to them both, and um, I. Try to, you know, I mean, it, it remixes, as, as we've talked about before, are a fraught subject. People have strong feelings either way. Um, and I try to frame some sort of argument for the original mix being, you know, either better or equal or whatever. And I, I just couldn't really do it. I mean, that's that's the sound that it came out at the time. And I guess what the technology could bear. And I suppose also, you know, that was actually mixed by George Martin. So there's there's that. I mean, the remix was not. They basically kept, you know, the contours of those mixes similar. But I mean, the percussion sounds great. The the bass, the, the guitars, you know, in, in the in the the title track, when it goes into the heavy version, the section of the song uh, with the when the electric guitars come in and really sort of crunch away. I mean, it is it's it's much more powerful on the remix. Um, so that's basically my feeling uh, about that. Pipes of Peace, I, I, I can't say that there was a world of difference between the 93 version and this. Um, you know, for me, the bigger attraction really is the bonus cuts and, and that kind of thing. And but, but of course, as Tom says, I have to keep the old one anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, I'm curious what what each of you felt about the remix. I I thought it was really beautifully done, and it it kind of brought that album alive for me again. I mean, not that it, you know, wasn't alive. I mean, I like the album, but I, I just thought it it was a big improvement. Ken, what's what say you I, on this? I like the remix a lot. I didn't hear too many differences. What I did hear most of all was more definition between the instruments. It's much mm-hmm. clearer. You can separate the instruments more. I noticed a little bit more acoustic guitar in the mix for Wanderlust. I think that the vocals seem to be pushed up a little bit hotter for the title track and Take It Away. That's just my ears. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. Um, I noticed some background vocals in uh, Ballroom Dancing that I heard uh, that I hadn't heard before. I think it's, it's a, a, a cleaner, clearer sound. Uh, I don't think there's that drastic a difference between that and the remaster. Um, and it's really too soon for me to say that I like this one better because I love the original and I didn't see anything 
There are no flaws in the original mix of Tug of War. I think it was just perfectly produced. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I questioned when this came out, when I heard about the remix, was once you're getting into the 80s on up, how much more can you improve the sound? Now, I may be wrong in that assessment right there. I think there's a lot of cleaning up to do in the 70s music from Paul, but I think the 80s, once you're getting far more complicated and you probably have more tracks to work with in the mix, I don't know how much more you can improve on the sound. I could be wrong with with today's technology, but I don't know how you can improve too much on something like Tug of War. And I didn't Mm. really hear that huge a difference in Pipes of Peace for the remaster. It sounds great. It always sounded great. I didn't really feel there was that much of a need for improvement. They were marvelously produced, both those albums. But Tug of War, I'm pleased with the remix. I have to listen to it more. But I didn't hear that huge a difference. Steve? I I thought thought it was a lot cleaner. And and I thought there was a lot more definition in the tracks. Um, You know, I I love... I'm like Ken, I love the album too. And it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say that much more nice about this thing without really going you know sounding really overboard but um yeah i thought uh, i thought it sounded uh, there was a lot more definition and it sounded a lot sharper all the way through that's about it i mean i i i, I thought they did a good job i mean it's hard it's hard to improve on this album anyway i mean it's so good but yeah i think uh they they it definitely uh wasn't imp- i think the remix was definitely import- uh, an improvement and Tom, I think you kind of uh, paid that a little bit of lip service, but how, what's your overall impression? I tend to agree with, with Ken and Steve on this. Not that I don't agree with Alan, but it, it's not a drastic <laughs> remix. Um, there is more definition. There's a bit more volume. Strangely, the, I, the song I noticed the most different sound in was the most sparse of all the songs, which is here today. And I think oh. it sounds a little bit more, not really distanced, but might have a drop more echo on it. It sounds, I, I hate to use this word, but maybe a little more ghostly. And that, that was the one that I noticed it most on. It's kind of cool to have the remix of it. Um, my own batting order for when I, I played the, the package was the remaster first. Let's hear, let's hear the, the, the mix as, as I've known and loved it. And see how good that you know how, how that good that sounds with the you know with the sonic remastering, and then let me hear the remix to say oh wait wait was that an extra guitar line or was that extra vocals or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and and really the the one that really I noticed immediately from the opening uh, guitar notes was in here today that it sounded a bit more otherworldly. Um, and it made the the jump to what what was side two, uh, the opening cut of Ballroom Dancing, which follows it that much more stark because those piano chords just come jumping out. Uh, it's it's mixed at a very a very strong volume in the mm-hmm. remix. So hmm. no complaints. And I think the only place I, I noticed anything I don't want to say going away it didn't go away, but not as pronounced was uh, oddly in Dress Me Up as a Robbery after the uh, acoustic guitar solo. In the regular mix, the, there's still a little noodling going on underneath Paul's singing. It's still there, but not as, as pronounced as the original, I think. Hmm. 
I guess you could say that it's a respectful remix. You know, it it basically yeah. honors the mix that George Martin originally did, yeah. but it clarifies the textures and and I think gives the 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 heavier parts of the songs a a, a bit more punch than they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of nice when, that it when wasn't I back radical. It, when I come back to it again, I I tend to go back to the remix now just because it sounds mm. more powerful to me. Yeah, interesting. And it makes me wonder, why did Paul suddenly decide for the first time to do a remix for, for this particular this, album? This album gets extra special treatment. Oh, <laughs> that's why. I mean, that's he could have just as easily done it for... <laughs> he could have done it for a band on the run, you know? You know he could have done did. it for so many... Okay. But he did <laughs> So if this <laughs> ends up being the only album in his catalog that he does a remix... That will verify that in Paul's mind, yeah. this is his best album. Okay, yeah. uh, you know he, like I say, he's he's treated it differently. Lisa, with in '93, just having it stand on its own without bonus cuts, which I think was a statement, and he he mentioned it in one of the interviews back then without making a big deal of it. Just basically said, "No, nah, you know that one, that one I like just the way it is." I mean, I don't think he went any further than saying that. But even for him, that's kind of a mouthful. I mean, when you're when you're taking great masterpiece type albums like Ram, you know, which ends just beautifully the way it is, and then putting on Another Day and A Woman O Why, which are chronologically and, and thematically and aesthetically very much part of those sessions. It just it, it's almost like you're turning a page and there's just one little bit you forgot. Certainly the band on the run one, that that was going to be dicey to begin with just because of the whole Helen Wheels factor you know mm-hmm. should it be on there shouldn't yeah. it be on there mm-hmm. but then you know after you get that big crescendo in 1985 the the band on the run reprise they put the bow around it and here comes helen wheels and country dreamer i mean it, it, it sounded ridiculous um yeah. you know playing top to bottom so you know i, I was kind of happy that tug of war in both cases uh, on the new remix and the new remaster stands on its own on a disc all the all the b-sides and the outtakes and stuff uh you know nice and neatly tucked away on a on a bonus disc it's kind of nice that that they are tucked away neatly all the all the the spaghetti as we call it put on you know put on a separate disc and tug of war standing on its own um as it should it's really just a wonderful record and you know I, I've spoken volumes of this. I've written volumes of this. Hearing it in this way was somehow just so much more gratifying to know that it's, you know, there's always people who will say, yeah, you know, gee, that was kind of, and gee, Tom, thanks for introducing me to that album. I, I had kind of forgotten that and went back and heard it and really enjoyed it. Then, of course, you know, there's people, there's this guy, Anonymous, on the internet, where, oh, my God, what a sentimental tripe, and you know, you know, everyone knows Band on the Run. It, you know, it, it's it's that order. Band on the Run, Imagine, All Things Must Pass. And uh, yeah, that's what everyone that's kind of been, you know, the you know, the um, you know, the, the needle that everyone's moved here. But the whole right. purpose and when we were reintroducing these albums in our recent uh, Beatle fan uh, online series was just that. Wow. I mean, in one yeah. of the one of the great one of the great, you know, Reversals of Fortune was by our moderator tonight, who uh, who went and revisited what will be the next album in the right. Paul McCartney Archive series, uh, according to the uh, release cards, the advance cards, uh, Flowers in the Dirt. Mm-hmm. Right, that's true. So uh, now, you know, mm-hmm. so here, uh, so hearing Tug of War was 
was great for me. Pipes of Peace was kind of cool to revisit. Strangely, I mean, a lot of it recorded, you know, during the same time and even some of them in the same sessions as Tug of War. It sounds dated. It sounds like an early 80s album. Tug of War, much like Ram, I think, just doesn't have a sound of, oh, that's a late 70s production sound or a mid 80s production sound. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Ram. That could be from anywhere. It, it's it's just, yeah. it's so organic. It's it's aged probably better than uh, any of his records. But Tug hmm. of War, I don't think, bore the stamp of, oh, that's an 80s record coming out now. I don't I don't think it had that. And to the, to the folks who I was, you know, excited and telling this about and saying, this is his, it's his best record. It really is great. It's top to bottom. It's blah, blah, blah. And when they say, what was the hit off of that? And you tell them Ebony and Ivory, you get that. Mm. Yeah. And Ebony and Ivory, I got that. I have no problem with it. And no, certainly either. its place on the album is critical. It's the last song. It's where all of the, right. you know, all these songs are about conflict and uh, everything resolves at the end. I said, you know, how many, how many Beatles mixtapes or compilation CDs do you guys think I've made over the years, right? How many fill in the blank thousands, right? I don't think I ever used, let's just say, Mean Mr. Mustard on any one of them. Not because it's a terrible song, but why would you bump, I don't know, two of us into Lucy in the Sky, into Mean Mr. Mustard. You don't take Mean Mr. Mustard out of the medley. It has a spot in the medley, and, you know, taken on its own, it, it, it kind of, you know, out of context, really doesn't uh, work as well. Ebony and Ivory, you know, I, I don't think I've ever made a Best of McCartney or a, you know, a McCartney favorites disc, or, a, you know, here's an introduction to Paul McCartney for someone where I included it. Not because it wasn't a good song, not because it wasn't a big hit, but because it's, to me, that song always had a had a very special place. And that was the, the closing song where everything resolves in an album full of, you know, conflicted emotions, conflicted relationships, conflicting, you know, audio styles, whatever it was. By the same but token... You know, there's a lot of McCartney songs that end his albums where if I was to put together a best of McCartney, I would certainly include 1985 in there and I would include mm -hmm. Backseat of My Car in there. So the fact that it's the last song on the album really shouldn't matter all that much. Well, no, it, it's not that it's the last song. It's because what is the last song following? It's following a dozen songs about conflict that ultimately resolve. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's to me, it's connected to every other song on the album in that it resolves things. OK, backseat okay. of my car, by the way, has been on many of my best of McCartney discs. <laughs> um, uh, that one can stand on its own without having to be. You, you don't have to have, you know, the backstory of Monkberry Moon Delight or Heart of the Country or Dear Boy or any of that to kind of understand what where that song fits into the puzzle. I think Ebony and Ivory is just that. It's a piece of that puzzle. Yeah, very much so. Now, conversely, there are any number of, uh, shall we say, anonymi who contend that the really the four, let's, we'll, we'll take the, the Russian album out of this equation, but that the four McCartney studio albums from the 80s, Tug of War, Pipes of Peace, certainly Press to Play, and even Flowers in the Dirt, are very much of their time, shall we say, I guess both musically and sonically and instrumentally. How do you guys think that musically, uh, those, these two albums particularly, 
um, have stood the test of time. And, and are they are they kind of stuck in the 80s musical? Well, I, I don't think tug of war is. As I said, that, that one to me doesn't, I don't listen to that and say, yep, that's, that's got all the hallmarks of 1986 on it, the big Phil Collins, mm-hmm. you know, snare drum sound or any of that. You know, as to, compared to if, if we're looking at all of Paul's albums of the 80s, maybe the one right in the middle of the of the decade there, Press to Play, which has a lot of good songs, but it does have that Hugh Padgham, you know, sound on some of those songs. And yeah. certainly it, it, there's a reason it sounds like Phil Collins on one of the tracks is because it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, and that mm-hmm. that one is very much of its time. I think that the, the bookends here, Tug of War, and I got to believe when we hear my, uh, I'm ready to call it the My Brave Face album, when we hear Flowers in the Dirt, there's such a great variety of styles on that album that the big piano ballads like That Day is Done, I'm not going to, I don't think many people say, oh, you can tell that's from 1989 or put it there. Well, that's from 1989. I, I don't think people are going to be able to make that connection. Those, those are patented oh. McCartney. People will hear that and say, oh boy, that's Paul McCartney. All right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think. You know, if you if you play put it there and you said to someone to the you know, to the man on the street, is that from 1976, 1985 or 1989? That could be pretty much anywhere. Now, on the other hand, pipes of peace, definitely you pay. You yeah, have pigeon, you have to pigeonhole that. And I think I think definitely. that that's partly well, actually very much because of Michael Jackson. I think that's. Oh, sure. I think that's where that comes in, you know. I mean, yeah, the Jackson tunes definitely will do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially since at that that you know at that moment in time, that's when it was. I guess it was just about the time Thriller was right. absolutely the biggest the biggest uh-huh. record in the in the universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so obviously you're, it's going to be a you know somewhat connected to that that sure. time. Right. But, well, uh, you, know, you know, on that but, point, Al, which is uh, a great point, that I think that's what kind of makes tug of war all the more, I hate this word, timeless, but mm-hmm. you've got Carl Perkins in there. By the way, prior to Thriller coming out, Stevie Wonder was quite a bit on a roll there for a while. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Musicquarium was out with its four new songs. I think three of those were hits. And before that, you know... Um, you know all the all the other albums he had in the late seventies. In the seventies, um, sure. You know, leading up to the Musicquarium, I guess, which came out in what eighty one, eighty or eighty one, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, so Stevie Stevie's on quite a bit of a roll there, and absolutely, I mean, the uh, the song "What's That You're Doing?" I mean, that's that sounds certainly more like a Stevie Wonder song than a Paul McCartney song, but yet Paul, mm-hmm. it's Paul doing all that funky drumming on that. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, it, it was kind of his way of holding his own. And as I said, you got Carl Perkins in there. I mean, you got that little, you know, uh, rockabilly thing. You know, could have been right off a of hee-haw or something at the right, time. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so there and, and you know, Stevie Wonder is also making some good pop singles at that time. So Ebony and Ivory wasn't really that far a stretch there either. Yeah, so, I, I, uh, I got to say though that the video of Say 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 looks up, it looks fantastic. Much much better than I ever expected. I mean, it looks yeah really beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, I remember watching that thing, you know, on MTV so many times, and right. you know, and you see it on YouTube, and it's all it's all you know grainy and stuff. 
Not on the DVD. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's a fun video, and they really had great chemistry together visually. Mm-hmm. All the scenery in, in, in the Say, Say, Say video. Mm-hmm. But um, I have an opinion about this. Please. <laughs> and I don't, I don't agree at all with anything that you guys have said about this, because first of all, I think that, um, to me, the strongest period in Paul's solo career has been from, say, Press to Play through Flaming Pie. And I don't look at everything as though this has an 80 sound, this has a 70 sound, or this sounds contemporary. I don't really care about the 80 sound and whether it sounds dated. I, I still like that sound. And it was whatever he was experimenting with at that time. I just think that mm-hmm. the material that he was coming out with in terms of the songs and the arrangements and all the work that was put into it was very strong back then. I think he put a lot more effort into his music at the time, especially when he wasn't putting out one album after another every single year, as he was in almost every year of the 70s. Don't get me wrong, I love his music of the 70s. But I don't, I don't just think it's an 80s sound, it sounds dated. You know, a lot of people have come to me because one issue that I've raised in, in various Beatles shows is why is it the later Beatles music as a group always outsells the early stuff? And a lot of people say to me, the early stuff sounds like it's from another time, you know? There's no band that's out today that's putting out She Loves You or a song that even sounds like She Loves You. Mm-hmm. I don't think She Loves You sounds like a contemporary song, but that doesn't make me dislike it now. I still love it the same as I always have. So if I hear a song from the 80s from Paul like Press, I loved it then. I still love it now. I don't just think to myself of the production. I think of everything that went into the work of that song and the songs on Press to Play. So... I really think that in terms of the work that, that Paul did, in terms of the songs that he was writing, who he was working with, experimentation, you know, he was, he was becoming more of his own on his own than when he had wings. You know, I just think that he, he was more, more of an artist going in different directions. Tug of War is the perfect example of that. I mean, we, we talk about diversity on McCartney albums. You can point to so many from McCartney and so many from the Beatles. You know, and Tug of War has got everything on there from the ballads like Somebody Who Cares and the funk, the funky track of What's That You're Doing and the rockabilly of Get It and, you know, Dress Me Up as a Robber, which has got, you know, some kind of uh, a jazz feel to it, Spanish guitar, that kind of stuff. There's so many. Wanderlust has got classical elements. You know, you go into all the other solo McCartney albums. Press to Play is extremely varied. So is Flowers in the Dirt. You know, Press to Play isn't any less of an album than Flowers in the Dirt in terms of that aspect of Paul's career. I just look at it at all as his material and how was it executed. And I think that what he was doing, especially in the 80s, I don't just say it belongs in the 80s. You know, Uh, to me, I like it now as much as I ever have. And there's a lot of songs from his career. And this applies to the Beatles group stuff and the solo stuff that I appreciate more now than I did back then. So, you know, it isn't just yeah. a matter of when the music came out and whether yeah, it sounds I don't, I don't from think, that time. I don't think we're going to, you know, whether the material, you know, still is valid. It's just a matter of, you know, we were talking about how it aged and, and, you know, has it, has it not whether the music is held up, but really has it aged? Um, there are songs that are very much of their time. Doesn't mean they're any better oh. than they were when they came out or any worse. I mean, there are there are songs from the 
the mid to late 70s. I mean, certainly, I don't know, Silly Love Songs is a product of that. Still one of my favorite McCartney singles. Um, not because, you know, I'm stuck in 1976, but, you know, because it's a really good song. It's that simple. Exactly. Well, I, don't, I don't think that, that those songs from the, from the 80s haven't aged well. I enjoy them just as much now as I always have. Alan, Alan, where do you stand on all this? I kind of feel that the ones that I liked a lot when they came out, I still like a lot. And the ones that I didn't like very much in the 1980s when they came out, I still don't like very much. Um, just leave it at that. And Pipes of Peace, I think, I, I, I can't say it sounds dated. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't hear 1980s when I listen to it. I just hear... You know, this bunch of songs, some of which are really pretty good, some of which are less good to me. But, you know, actually, you know, what is dated, but I think in a good way, are the videos. Um, and I think we, we maybe we should talk about those. Um, Tom mm-hmm. alluded Absolutely. to one already, the, uh, the, the Pipes of Peace um, video. Uh, and that, you know, that, that Christmas 19, was it 14 or I can't remember which, one of the years during World War yeah, One. I. I mean, that was an actual 14, incident. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, that was an actual incident and they've sort of dramatized that. And, uh, you know, it, it actually kind of was the perfect story for that song. You know, the, the, the two sides stopping for Christmas dinner and, uh, you know, coming out of the trenches and meeting and exchanging photos. And, and you know, I think the idea, I don't know, may, to, to, to discuss it, it may sound a little soppy, but the idea of, you know, McCartney being both the German uh, captain and the, and the British captain and, you know, the, the similarity between people, uh, you know, the, and the things that come together in a moment of peace and, and then they go back into their foxholes and shoot each other again. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I thought that was a really good video. But I also thought that, um, you know, Say, 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 not my favorite song uh, of his, but um, I, I kind of thought that that video was, was quite good. Uh, I, I liked the videos in these that, you know, that were little films. You know, take it away as well. And there's a, a documentary on the on one of the DVDs about the making of Take It Away. Uh, mm-hmm. And they interview, you know, John Hurd. I mean, these interviews are done at the time of the filming. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, having John Hurt play the impresario and uh, the, the whole business of a, you know, sort of a band trying to make it, seeing them rehearsing, seeing them do their big show with John Hurt sitting there. You know, it's not, it, it's not going to, you know fry your brains or anything it's not that deep but it's fun you know it's just a fun little story uh sort of about what these songs are Mm -hmm. um and uh you know i I was happy that they were included and they were included in such great shape um because i think that you know when i say dated i mean you know mtv doesn't i don't think play music anymore but at at the time these were on mtv all the time you know and uh and other tv shows too and I, I, I kind of think of that as kind of a nice period when, you know, someone could put out a record and you could turn on the TV and see it all the time, you know? Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I find that really a good value added 
thing for the deluxe packages, you know, to have these, uh, the clips. I do wish that they had included, okay, the, you know, the Ebony and Ivory isn't really a story. It's kind of a nice clip with Stevie Wonder and Paul. There is a solo version video that they mm-hmm. didn't include, which I, I wish they had. Um, I mean, the DVDs are not terribly long, so there, it's not like there wasn't room there. And so, and in addition, you know, he's now, now he's put out this big expensive collector's thing and to promote it, he's putting out more collector's things that aren't on these. For instance, he's put out a video from the archives they call the series of, of here today, where, uh, he includes a live performances where, where he chokes up a little bit and he also is interviewed in this clip and that isn't anywhere on this set, which is in a way a, mm. kind of a pity, you know, mm. um, because it means that in 10 years when they put out the next set, that can be included. Yeah. So I think it will be a hologram version. Really? I was going to say the only thing that's a huge disappointment to me in, in uh, the deluxe set are really the DVDs because you just feel that there, there really could have been a lot more that he put on there. Mm-hmm, and um you know it's just very skimpy there i mean i love the bonus audio i think he did a good job there although i still think he could have given us a lot more in the audio but the dvd was very little i mean the 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 best thing that i saw there was in the pipes of peace um dvd where you see paul rehearsing uh the yeah. song keep undercover and um there's also this other song which i i wish we would talk about called it's not on which is one of the bonus tracks on the audio of Pipes of Peace. And I never even heard about that song before, which just goes to tell you that no matter how many... Yeah, um, there's there's a lot of books that are out there on the solo music, and some of them are pretty thorough, and I never saw that title ever mentioned. Mm -hmm. So it it goes to show you that this this probably, and certainly with McCartney, there's probably a lot of stuff that he's done that even the experts who have put together the best solo Beatle books still didn't include in their books Mm -hmm. but yeah the dvds are 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 a real disappointment for me but the audio i think and the booklets make it all worthwhile there were two two observations i had about the um about the sets in general um on the dvds the one video that really touched me was the second tug of war video when linda came in I swear to God, I started welling up as soon as I saw that. I went, oh, my God. It was so nice to see Linda in there. Um, the other thing that was disappointing about the Tug of War set, though, and I'm surprised none of you guys have mentioned it, I was hoping, crossing my fingers, we'd have an outtake of, of uh, here today. Nothing. Hmm. That yeah. really that really disappointed me a lot because um, I would have loved to have heard how that how that song came together. And... The fact that he didn't put anything, you know, there was there are there's all sorts of bonus audio on the on the uh, second disc, but not that, and that was kind of a disappointment. Well, there is one thing here that that I'd like to bring up, and that is that for those of us who have listened to the tug of war boots that have come out through the years, there's a couple of songs that Paul didn't release at all that mm-hmm. I immediately thought of before this ever came out, and I'm really shocked that they weren't included. One is called Seems Like Old Times, which I think was a really good ballad. And there's another one which, you know, I'm not sure if it's the correct title, but I've always heard it goes by, I Believe in the Unbelievable Experience. So I like, 
I like these songs that were unreleased, and then you get to hear them later on. I mean, those carry a lot of weight to me, as do the demo recordings, which I find fascinating. I love demos now more than I ever have. And there's some real interesting stuff on both uh, A Tug of War and Pipes of Peace as far as demos. Mm. I thought the Wanderlust yeah. video was great. I really liked that a lot. I like to hear demos where you know the songs are not finished. Mm-hmm. And there's there's plenty of them on there where you hear Ebony and Ivory without without the verses. It's basically just the chorus. And Wanderlust doesn't have the counter melody in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, by far and away, the most interesting demos, I think Dress Me Up as a Robber is is really interesting because she got all these different takes of it. And you got all the, this uh, guitar playing, Paul doing this this jazzy thing, the Spanish guitar thing. And uh, it's really interesting to hear him do that. You got all these different takes of it. There's also something called um, Robber's Riff, which is just basically the riff that you hear at the very beginning of the song. And, and that apparently was something separate. And we all know that The Pound is Sinking was really two different songs. Mm-hmm. And you hear both of them uh, on, on the uh, bonus audio. So, you know, all throughout the history of the Beatles, you've got instances where you've got a couple of songs that are strung together. So it still continued a lot in their solo careers, and The Pound is Sinking is just another one of them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I love hearing all these demos. They're, they're a real treat for me. And you know that there were plenty more. You just wish oh, yeah. that uh, you know, we got more of that. Ken, when you hear a song like "It's Not On," though, don't don't you think, okay, I see why he left this off. Sure, but sometimes yeah. the stuff that you don't put on there, you can you can find interesting in its own way. Uh, mm-hmm. When I hear "It's Not On," which is a really bizarre track to me, yeah. it, it really sounds like something theatrical that he was thinking about. And the mere fact that you even got some of Paul in the studio with George Martin working on this, he must have mm-hmm. thought something of this as he was doing it. Yeah. So all these thought processes of what makes the album, what doesn't make the album, what makes a B-side, you know, all that I find really interesting. So, um, and I love Stop, You Don't Know Where She Came From. That's such a, you know, I wish he developed that more because he could have made that into a really fine song on Tug of War or Pipes of Peace. And just to, to kind of bring it full circle, Tom was talking earlier about the about the books which are part of the deluxe versions of both albums. Mm. Uh, maybe you can give us a, a kind of a thumbnail description of the entirety of those books. Well, you know, the, these were far more than, and then they wrote, and then they wrote, and then Steve right. Gadd came, and then they wrote. I found something fascinating that um, was kind of buried in the, uh, the Pipes of Peace book. One of my favorite songs from that album um, is the what was the album proper closer through our love and great at the song. beginning of that yeah at oh. the beginning of that there's some little like staccato string section and reading the book I came to learn that it was done in the time of Morse code to spell out P E A C E in Morse code mm. I don't know if you guys mm. saw that in the book I found that fascinating um, you know that's kind of yeah. like a little I, I would. You can't really call it an in-joke because it's not really a joke, but it uh, kind of like a little inside thing where, you know, he's, you know, before that big first chord, we wasted time and again, there's this little string riff and you say, okay, it sounds like the orchestra's warming up. I kind of get it. Um, and then you find out something like that, that it was just kind of his little way of 
of putting that in there. I don't know if he said, let's see if any of the old Navy guys, yeah, you know, pick up on it. Or if that, if he just said, look, this is, this is how this should start as a message, as a, as a, you know, as a shout out for PEACE. So I found that to be really cool. Um, the photography, look, these are, as Ken said, a lot of it uh, we had seen, or some of it we had seen in the MPL publications and Club Sandwich and things. But, you know, if you're looking at pictures of Paul, Ringo, Linda, George Martin, Steve Gadd, Stevie Wonder, um, and Carl Perkins hanging out in Montserrat, you know, you know, you look at this and and what strikes me is again these albums are you know you just you know getting they're pushing 35 years old how young they were um you know yeah uh it, it it's it's just it's incredible when you think about you know paul made tug of war basically you know it came out right before his 40th birthday i guess mm-hmm. so. i was gonna say i love ringo with the curly hair that, that, that. yeah 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 mm. It's, it's kind of cool just seeing Ringo without the sunglasses at that point. Um, right. But, you know, th- that he made that album as he was barely turning 40, I mean, it's such a mature album. That's, it kind of is striking when you look at it. So th- that's kind of, those were the striking things about it. And one thing we didn't mention, a little nicety, on the Tug of War photo book, there's a little pouch on the outside, a little red pouch. And there's a beautiful black and white photograph of Paul in there. And it has a very, very kind of unique texture to it. Uh, definitely worth checking out to pop that photo out of the uh, the little red pouch, um, which is which is put in there as a nice touch. Um, again, th- these things are beautifully packaged. They're, they're obviously for the collector, for the archivist, whatever you want to call. You know, who, you know it, it's, you know, part coffee table book, part archive piece for your record collection. Uh, is it, just exquisitely done, uh, as as have all of them in the series, frankly. I like a couple things the introductions that I, of the of the handwritten lyrics too, though. You know that that's, oh, that's yeah. a, a big bonus in these two sets. Yeah, I love when he does that with with a lot of his uh, remasters. Mm-hmm. You know, the one for Ram, for oh, Ram God. especially, that was put in an envelope, and you took it out, and you got these pieces of paper, and and you feel like he just wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> it really looks that clear. It, it's all done digitally, I'm sure, but it's amazing that he can do that. So, yeah. The couple of things that I found really interesting in the booklets, he was interviewed about MTV and what he thought about uh-huh. that being the video era, and he actually said that he hated it. <laughs> because, you know, too much of an emphasis was put on the visual instead of the actual song. Mm-hmm. And he would have people come up to him and they would say to him, I saw your latest song <laughs> instead of hearing your latest song. So, but yet at the same time, he certainly did embrace it because, you know, the, oh, the work sure. that was done on Pipes of Peace and Say, 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 right. you know, Take It Away and, and Ebony and Ivory, you know, that was the time then. And he just had to adapt to it. But he's, I think he did a great job at that time. I also think it's really interesting if you look at the Pipes of Peace uh, booklet, you know, the name John Jacobs. We've seen it all these years. He was the assistant engineer on the album. Mm-hmm. He was 18 years old, and he got to engineer with, with Jeff Emmerich. It's kind of like I, I was immediately thinking about people like, like Jeff, who worked with the Beatles at a very young age, and then all of a sudden got elevated to being the, the chief engineer on Revolver. And he must have been like you know early 20s then. And you got people like Chris Thomas, 
who were thrown into the fire, you know, during the White Album, and he was really young. You look at this guy, John Jacobs, in this photo book, he looks like he's 14. (laughs) And it's, it's really fascinating. He tells the whole story how he was basically a gopher, you know, for Jeff Emmerich, and, and he got promoted at that moment. Imagine what it must be like to be 18 years old and you get to engineer a Paul McCartney album. And it, it's such a different, a different way of looking at it as opposed to, you know, Jeff Emmerich, certainly in 1966, the Beatles were the biggest band in the world. But at this point, you know, the individual Beatles have so much more stature, so, much, so many more years of history. Absolutely. They're more, mm-hmm. even more legendary. And here's this guy who's 18 years old and he gets to do this. <laughs> I mean, that's a story to yeah. itself. So, uh, you know, I love the booklets because you get the perspective from a lot of the people who were involved with it. So the other thing I also wanted to bring up about these sessions, which I find really uh-huh. interesting, is that, I don't know, I, I just thought that if you were on the Isle of Montserrat and you had all these great people working on your album, legends, <laughs> Stevie Wonder, Carl Perkins, Ringo, George Martin, of course, Denny Lane, Eric Stewart, all these people, wouldn't there be a video camera going on <laughs> all the time? I know I would try to do something like that if I had all those people you know, working. So yeah, I'm just a little bit surprised that we didn't see more of that. You know, it's all in the booklets, and the booklets are great. But I would have hoped that we would have seen some kind of film footage or something. There, there might have been from, rights issues with some of the those people too. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Possibly, yeah. but because there's so much. I mean, doesn't the don't the video pieces on the DVDs give you the impression that he was filming everything? Oh yeah, they do. He was filming a bit. You know, there's a there's a video for the instrumental "Hey Hey." And you see, you know, some of what went on in Montserrat there. Um, you know, I also like there was a video that was made for The Man. And it's just basically Paul, Linda, and Michael Jackson riding, riding horses yeah. <laughs> on, uh, yeah. on, on uh, Paul's ranch. So, you know, just the fact they threw that in there, that was something we'd never seen before. Right. So um, there was a video made for The Man, but I'm not sure if this is the one that they originally had intended because the man was supposed to be a single and it wasn't released as such. So I don't know. Before we go, let me throw a curveball at you guys. Each, uh, each of you. Uh, what would you like to have, have been done with each, each of these packages that wasn't done? Tom, why don't we start with you? Well, you know, we've had a lot of offline discussions about, you know, gee, what should Paul do? And the answer invariably is he should do whatever the hell he wants to do. He he's kind of knows what he's doing right now, right? right. Um, I thought what would be cool is I'm not a – I like my music, uh, let's call it physically, the boxes, the CDs, et cetera. The da- you know, downloading, you know, obviously I, I know its place. I know its value. I get it. I have an iTunes account. I download things. But I prefer to, to collect my music okay, and collecting them as little you know, MP3 files on my computer. I stare at a computer all day at work. I really don't need to be doing it at home. Sure. But what I thought might be kind of cool, kind of cool, right? That, that I, I get to write the story here, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so how about you know, a download card? And with each of the boxes that he does, a one-off performance. Uh, fill in the blank, Madison Square Garden, Albert Hall, O2 Arena, wherever, okay? 
where I mean he's still touring. Right? He played late. He did shows last week. Do the album in its entirety as you know. It's a special concert. It's a different thing. Not a regular out there tour stop. So in this case. He does tug of war in the first set, and then you know, all the Beatles and all the hits in the second set. Okay, and have the download card because you don't want to be buying you know the same concerts over and over and over and over and over and over. But make the live set of the album an available download. That's a really so interesting you, idea. Yeah. So uh, you would get, actually, now you've got the, the tug of war remix. You've got the tug of war remaster. Oh, and now a special performance of the album. And you would only get that card with the box set. So you kind of, it's a value add to the box set. You don't get that. It's not on iTunes. It's not on Amazon. You have to, it's part of the deluxe package. And how much more is it going to cost? <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If he's doing the show, he's getting the money at the show. This could be a value add for that. It, it shouldn't really cost terribly much. There's no physical cost to produce it. Right? Well... Hmm. I don't hmm. think he'd ever do that. <laughs> no, I really don't. Hey, who, who got to write the story there? That was me. Right? Right. Um, if I'm writing the story, I think that would be cool. Um, and in fact, there's a guy in uh, from not far from your neck of the woods in central Jersey who has done at least variations on that very thing. Some of them, sure. He's done some of them for sure. And you can bet when, is it December 4th rolls around, Al? Is that the date? Yeah. The river box. You can bet, like when Born in the USA came out and Born to Run came out, there'll be somewhere he's going to do that album set live. You can bet he'll yeah. do it. And yeah. Paul has never done that for any of his solo albums. Never, yeah. ever once. Not once. Not and, you once. know, it's interesting because he can, he, when he rethinks things, uh, I mean, when he does them live, a lot of the times they're pretty close to the record, but... Um, when I was listening to these two records today, um, I, I, I put it all onto iTunes and I just let them play and um, I let it play into Broad Street. And Broad Street, as you know, has quite a number of songs from Tug of War and, you know, uh, yep. and and they're redone and and plus things like, you know, Silly Love Songs redone. And sure. I really like those versions. I haven't heard them in a really long time. And I thought, you know, it's sort of there was so many seemed like there's so many from Tug of War that it seemed almost as if, um, you know, he he felt that. Maybe the album making process for those that in Pipes of Peace were maybe a little too constrictive, and here he was loosening up. Of course, you know he was doing these probably the same way. It's not like they were really live performances, and you know, but they just felt looser, and in some cases a bit better. Mm. So yeah, mm. I, th I I would love I would love to hear him do all of Tug of War live. See what what kind of rethinking he might do, which versions he might do, the tug of war or uh, Broad Street versions, you know. Uh -huh. And know. then but what do you what do you do about all the duets? You know, who's uh, gonna sing yeah, the duets? With them? Still around. Well you know, so you get Kanye <laughs> in and uh... <laughs> Okay. Am I still writing a story? Okay. Okay. Sure. okay. Well Stevie you. Wonder Stevie Wonder's still alive, so those two tracks are covered. Uh -huh. And mm -hmm. Obviously, in Carl's absence, okay, you ready for this? How about Ringo Starr for that one? Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Good one. I can hear that. him doing that. Yeah. Hmm. That would fit. That would fit. Would fit his voice, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not very vocally demanding. 
certainly they were both huge Carl Perkins fans. Mm-hmm. Why not? Or we could drive okay. Steve okay. crazy and get Garth in. No, right. no. There you go. <laughs> Alan, no. What, what would you what would you have done that wasn't done with this set? Either of um, the set, two sets. Yeah. You know, uh, I would have I would have put the missing videos on. I would have put uh, and and I would have liked to see the bonus discs carry more material in both cases. You know, there are so many things that are already bootlegged from tug of war era that um you know and some of that stuff is pretty good uh and i think you know he sometimes takes the view that well if it's already out there on bootleg why should i put it out um you know that was supposedly the reason that cold cuts never came out it's out there on bootleg well you know forget it um but on the other hand you know i i think that he probably has somewhat better quality recordings than the bootleg right uh, and also, I I really wouldn't mind him seeing take seeing him take the sort of Frank Zappa modified Frank Zappa approach. You know, Frank Zappa put out these sets called Beat the Boots, um, mm-hmm. where he what he did is he just put out the bootlegs exactly as they are, except that he was selling them and he was going to make money on them. I mean, what I would do is <laughs> something like that, except I would use the actual archival tapes, not the bootleg tapes. Um, I I would just like to see more of the bonus material. I mean, these are pretty expensive sets and the, um, the bonus material discs were not that full. Um, and the fact is, as we talked about things like the solo ebony and ivory video missing and some of the other videos, possibly maybe, you know, there was obviously a lot more documentary material, um, to choose from, maybe there could have been something more uh, along those lines. Or since we're going to have a, have documentary material, maybe it doesn't have to be all from that period. Maybe there could be an interview with Paul where he goes track by track through each of these yeah. albums and talks uh-huh. about you know. That could be fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of nice. So um, uh, uh, that's that's the only thing I would do differently. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I can't say I'm, you know, greatly disappointed with these two sets. Uh, they're good, but um, I do think there there could have been a lot more um, in in terms of bonus material. Mm-hmm. Ken, anything you would have uh, you would have done that wasn't done with these sets? Well, I would certainly echo those words from Alan, and definitely more audio and more video. Certainly more video. Um, I don't know what does exist. But I'd certainly give you a lot more than what's on these two discs. It's it's really, like I said, very skimpy. And there's there's quite a lot more audio that's out there. I just don't know if Paul is deliberately holding back because I've heard, as I'm sure all of you have, that for a number of years there's been this rumor that he's still going to put out a box set of unreleased stuff. So maybe a lot of things that he's not putting on these remastered box sets, he's holding for that. I don't know. I know just from the the examples that I gave with a song like Seems Like Old Times or I Believe in the Unbelievable Experience, I think those are worthy of coming out. Maybe he's saving that as well. There's also, it was mentioned in uh, one of the booklets, probably Pipes of Peace, Stuart Copeland was there and they did a jam session together, which didn't work out. You know, I've heard that they, uh-huh. did, they did a little bit of work together. Anything, anything that's unreleased, although I'm sure he's probably very picky, about what what does come out there, uh, uh, you know, more audio, more video, 
And I also do think, and this is like a side note, uh, uh, a, a disappointment for me about Paul, of the few that are out there, is that when he does tour, he does really nothing to reflect that these mm. remasters have come out. It's, so, it's yes, he's been doing here today since 2002. Yes, that's on Tug of War. But, you know, why not show some pride in these albums as they're coming out? We did our show on Tug of War before, like you were talking talking about um, Al, and uh-huh. we were kind of hoping that he'd bring out Take It Away and Ballroom Dancing yeah. and, you know, Very any true. of those songs. Mm-hmm. And he's done a few dates now, this month of October in the U.S., nothing. nothing. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. from yeah. Tug of War. There's nothing from Pipes of Peace. And um, you could say that about all the other remasters for the most part. I know he did Ram On. <laughs> you know, at, at certain select shows on his tour, but I don't even know if that was really because Ram was remastered. I just wish that he'd show more pride in, in these in these um in uh, his archival series and reflect that in his shows. I don't I don't think he's ever going to do a complete album like like Tom wants, but um, he certainly should be playing songs from what has been re-released. If he's putting all this effort behind the remasters. You know, and putting out bonus audio and bonus video and putting out booklets. Why can't you just yeah. do some of those songs live? That's yeah. that's a major gripe of mine, you know. Very true. Very true. Mm. Steve, how about you? Um, getting going, going back to what Tom said earlier about the uh, about uh, doing the whole album live. The bonus. I mean, we're, we've complained. I think every time we've talked about these things, we've always complained about the you know, the fact that there should be more bonus audio. Why not put out an alternate album with the bonus audio? But just, you know, using one outtake from each song. I think that would be a, a great thing. And getting back to what I said about to, no alternate tug of war on this one. Uh, I mean, that was crying out for, uh, I mean, uh, here today, that was crying out. And there's actually, um, I'm, I don't have my glasses on here. Yeah, there's no alternate tug of war either. Why? Um, I mean, two of those two songs are, are, are great, and it would have been, I think it would have been a natural thing to do if you're going to remaster these and, and, you know, and put out some bonus audio to have, you know, alternate versions of those songs. So I'd like to see a an alternate, at the minimum, an alternate album with alternate versions of each actual song on the album. So there you go. You know, one thing. Uh, a nice surprise for me was this new remix of Say, 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 mm-hmm. which was done this year. And the first time I heard it, I did a double take because I didn't know what to expect. And they flip-flop Paul and Michael's vocals on there. Right. It would have been nice to get an alternate version of What's That You're Doing. You know, I'm sure there must have been other takes of that song just to hear, you know, Paul and Stevie going back and forth, what it must mm-hmm. have been like yeah. in the studio here and, you know, different vocal uh-huh. takes on... A song like that, or with Ebony and Ivory, for that matter, yeah. or the well, man, mean, if that exists, you, mean, you know. You mean there may be an alternate version, not must be, maybe. You don't mean <laughs> must be. You mean maybe. This must be it, maybe. <laughs> this <laughs> must be maybe. <laughs> what one thing? One thing I wanted to insert for anybody that wanted to hear our show on. Tug of War, that was back in mid-May. It was number one th- yes. 133, if, uh-huh. you wanna, if you want to scroll down and find it on the um, on the Podbean site and on uh, YouTube and on uh, iTunes. Uh, so I assume you guys are all keeping our keep, – uh, 
those of you at home that are subscribers are keeping all your things we said today episodes um, neatly organized. But yeah, that's where it is. There will there will be a quiz. That's right. That's right. It's number one thirty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, Ken. I know we're way over, but do we have time for you to talk about uh, Harry Fest? Uh, real briefly, I went to see something called Harry Fest, which is an annual event that takes place in Massachusetts every single year. It's really pretty much a one-day event where a lot of the local tribute acts come and perform, and they do a mixture of George Harrison's music, Beatles and solo, and the other Beatles music, too. And um, I had a blast going because it's it's very much like going to Danbury Fields, which we mentioned before, which Charles Roseney puts together every single year in Connecticut and Danbury. You get to see a, a taste of all the different types of bands. Some of the artists are just individuals. Some are bands. And um, some of them did just Beatles. Some did all solo George. You get a mixture of the most familiar and some of the... The more obscure stuff. One band, there was one band that actually did I Live For You, (laughs) which is a terrific song from uh, the All Things Must Pass sessions, which didn't come out officially until the remaster came out in 2000. But um, there's a band called The Onos, which is one of these bands from Massachusetts that Rachel and Wayne Cabral who both organize Harry Fest. They're in the band together. Wayne is an amazing singer and guitar player, and Rachel plays drums in the band. They did an entire set where they covered a lot of All Things Must Pass stuff, and not just the hits, but really going deep. You know, Let It Down, for example, The Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, you know, stuff like that. I love hearing that, Beware of Darkness, and mixing that also with, you know, the other bands there that are playing Beatles, and you get a good cross-section of everything, There was a guy named Thatcher Harrison, and that really is his last name, and he's 14 years old, and he blows everybody away because he's up there alone, and he kind of reminds me a lot of Stanley Jordan, the guitar player. He can play two guitars at the same time, one with each hand, and he does all these interesting medleys of combining Beatle music with classical music and also with jazz music and Frank Zappa, (laughs) you know. I don't know how his mind... You know, puts all this together and processes it, but he's truly amazing. And um, wow. actually, my my son Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey DeSera performed there, and um, he did a whole bunch of uh, stuff. He did the day the world gets round a cappella, and uh, oh. you know, a very powerful song lyrically. There, he did Julian Saltwater. You know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of great stuff he did, as as well as some of his original material, which. You know, he he worked into the set where it applied and how it, you know, fit in with the Beatles. But um, every time they do this every single year, and I believe they've been doing this for like 13 years, all the money goes to to a charity, usually goes to a hospice, a local hospice. So it's for a worthy cause. And it's very low key. You know, it's not a big crowd. It's anywhere from a couple hundred people. And it's a very relaxed atmosphere. And there are some vendors there that sell their stuff. And there's some charity stuff that goes on with a raffle. And, uh, you know, it's a real fun event that they put together. They deserve a ton of credit for doing this. And if you want something, it's very different to me from, say, the Fest for Beatle fans, which is, you know, three-day weekend. Everything's Mm -hmm. all organized hour by hour. Mm -hmm. This is basically a whole bunch of performances from the mid-afternoon all the way up until midnight. And uh, with vendors there as well. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a great time overall. I like seeing more than ever 
uh, performers going out there and and presenting the Beatles their own way. And in some ways, uh, I'm really uh, I love to watch young bands that are just really into this music. Especially, there's mm-hmm. a band called Studio Studio Two. I don't know if you heard of them. But this is a band that's been around for a few years. They're out of New Hampshire. They're four really young guys, and they play early Beatles stuff. They wear white shirts and vests, and they play BBC material, the stuff they did in Hamburg, and, you know, stuff that they released on EMI in the early years. And they're so into it. And that just feeds you. It it feeds your enthusiasm just to know that these, these young people are getting into music that's more than 50 years old. And it's, it's, that's so overpowering to me. So when I see something like that and this guy Thatcher, who's 14 years old and he knows the Beatles music very well. He knows a lot of the solo music that he works into there. The fact that it's reaching young people is just, you know, it's not something that I take for granted. You know, that's what keeps the music alive. And, and keeps the catalog thriving. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited to watch all this. And it goes on every single year, usually in the fall, around this time, October mm-hmm. or November. But if you get a chance, check it out. They do have a website, harryfest.com, H-A-R-R-I-F-E-S-T.com. And they also have a, a Facebook page for Harry Fest as well. But it's just one of the, the, the many uh, celebrations and festivals on the Beatles that, that happen not nearly on the scale of the Fest for Beatle fans, but it's it's a lot of fun. Great. That, yeah, that's great. That's great, mm. Ken. Well, this has been uh, this has been a very quick hour and a half, uh, and uh, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of the credit goes to our uh, our guest and our friend Tom Frangione. Tom, thanks oh, very much for for being here. My, my pleasure. It's always a good time. We specifically wanted to uh, have you to give your uh, your input on these uh, these two sets. It really is tug of war. Really, as you guys know, to me, it's, it's just a very special record in the in the whole story. You know, for if you want to check it out on our website at uh, Beetlefan.com, uh, something new is the name of the article or the web page that we use. The backstory to the album. I mean, just setting it up. It's a new decade. Obviously, the 80s end, or rather 1980, ends terribly for us all. And, you know, it got off to a terrible start for Paul uh, sure. over there in Japan. And um, the backstory really colors in uh, how he rose to the occasion here. Uh, we encourage you to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, now Tom is a, is a holdout. <laughs> I think I, I'm seeing the wisdom of him, him being a holdout on uh, social media more and more. Uh, but uh, <laughs> if, if people do want to get in touch with you, they can obviously can do it through Beetle Fan, yep. and uh, and also through uh, uh, Joe Johnson's Beetle Brunch, right? Right. We're at brunchradio.com. We have a contact right. us page there. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And Steve, what's uh, what's our contact info? Our contact is things we said today radio show at gmail dot com, um, and you can also uh, Twitter us and tweets to us at things we said fab. I just want to say if you need to reach me, that's Ken. Uh, my email address is everylittlething at att dot net. My website is kenmichaelsradio.com. and I just want to mention that there's a slight chance that by the time this show goes up, I may have a special contest in which I'm giving away. Ringo's new photo book called Photograph. Wow. 
So if you want to win it, go to the website. The details will be on my homepage at kenmichaelsradio.com. All righty. Well, uh, uh, Tom, once again, thanks for uh, for coming aboard. And my pleasure, for, uh, Absolutely. Thanks. Our pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Yep. Our pleasure. And for uh, Tom Frangione and uh, Steve Marinucci and Alan Cozen and Ken Michaels, uh, this is Al Sussman, and we will see you next time.